Welcome to AZ TechCast, sponsored by Arizona Technology Council, with your hosts, Steve Zelstra and Karen Nowicki. AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites leading experts to have real conversations about what is happening in the tech sector across the state of Arizona. From regional news to innovative startups, companies, and emerging technologies, AZ TechCast covers the critical issues and economic trends propelling the state's growing ecosystem. Thank you, JDH Insights, for being our 2021 Tech Advocate Sponsor. A leader in coaching and executive development, JDH Insights is committed to helping organizations cultivate and leverage their most important and complex asset, their humans. Visit JDHinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. Welcome. I'm Karen Nowicki and so pleased to be with you here today. During today's TechCast, we have distinguished experts going to speak with us and on behalf of USMCA, how this modernized trade agreement is strengthening the Arizona, Mexico, and Canada bond, and how it promotes robust economic growth in North America. And we have a lot of ground to cover. And before we do that, I'd like to give a shout out as well to Arizona Commerce Authority, AZ TechCast 2021 Innovation Sponsor. The Arizona Commerce Authority is the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. The Commerce Authority uses a three-pronged approach to advance the overall economy, recruit, grow, and create. So with that, I'd like to welcome today's distinguished panelists. We have with us today Patrick, Patrick Welch, an attorney with the law firm Jennings, Strauss, and Salmon. Welcome, Patrick. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And Glenn Williamson, founder and CEO of the Canada-Arizona Business Council. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much for having me. And for those of you who are just listening to the audio version of this, uh, either live with us or podcast eventually, Glenn's got this amazing background. And every time each one of us have come onto the Zoom call today, we're like, wow, Glenn, are you really sitting in front of that ice rink? <laughs> Close, it. but no, not yet, but still watching the game. Love it. And for those of us here in Arizona, you know, it's starting to heat up. It's almost 100 degrees. Or actually, I think it might be 100 degrees a day. So I'm, I'm envious. I'll pretend like you're sitting there. And then Dan Yutso, Senior Counsel at Thompson Hine LLP. Welcome, Dan. Great to be with you. Thanks. Did I do okay on that last name? You nailed it. <laughs> it only took a couple times practicing out loud and then in my mind. And of course, with us today is my partner as we present this show each month, Steve Zalstra. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Karen. It's great to be here. Well, welcome back. We missed you last month. Yeah, I know. I know. I was out, I was out of town. Yep. Well, we're glad you're here. So we, as I mentioned, have a lot of ground to cover. And Stephen always find that the hour goes so, so quickly. I'd love, before we get into the meat of the conversation, for each of you to take a moment to introduce yourselves, the role that you play, and really why you believe that Steve and Jill and the Arizona Tech Council invited you to, into this conversation today. So, uh, Patrick, if you don't mind kicking it off for us, greatly appreciate it. Sure. Uh, my name is Patrick Welch. I'm a partner at the law firm of Jennings, Strauss, and Salmon. Um, we're uh, big supporters of the Tech Council and have been for a number of years and really proud of that relationship. I have a cross-border practice between Arizona and Mexico. I represent companies, both U.S. companies going into Mexico and Mexican companies coming into the United States, whether that's transaction or 
litigation related. Uh, I'm married to uh, my beautiful wife, Maribel, who's a Sonoran. And as I mentioned during our, our, our kind of our pregame here, I'm actually uh, sitting on the beach here uh, right uh, in Kino, which is just uh, off the coast of the capital city of Sonora called Hermosillo. So uh, I'm trying to uh, emphasize NAFTA, USMCA, spend some money here, that type of thing. <laughs> and you're doing it well. Now that I know that you're on the on the coast, I'm going to exchange Glenn's ice rink for where you are. I just would like to see the background. I want palm trees. I want water. <laughs> anyway, well, thank you. So glad to have you here. And Glenn, if you'd introduce... Thanks for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. Glenn, could you introduce yourself as well? Certainly, Gary. I'm Glenn Williamson. I'm the CEO of the Canada-Arizona Business Council. We're about a 14, 15-year-old business council in Arizona. And I'm also in the uh, senior management chairman of a company called EPCOR in the state of Arizona. And we're out of Edmonton. So we actually live, breathe, and do the work between the two countries. So are you based here in Arizona then? I am based here in Arizona. Well, so in my mind, I went, you know, you're, you're in Canada, but. I, well, don't let the background fool you. I'm, I'm a big fan of hockey and the, uh, the, the playoffs are on right now. And I'm from Montreal, so I have to watch the Montreal-Toronto. Now that we're in an overtime game seven, I just have to be all over this. And if I were really paying attention, which I know these three gentlemen and probably Jill in the background are thinking, Karen, it says right there, Gila River Arena. Hello, Gila River. Steve not. <laughs> so right. I, I clearly not a hockey fan. Uh, so yes, I'm, I'm glad I'm now grounded and landed. Dan, your turn. Tell us who you are, please. Sure. I'm Dan Yutso. I'm an international trade and transportation lawyer. So my world is moving stuff. And I have a past life working in the U.S. government on border issues, as well as the Canadian government. So I've worked on both sides and uh, for about the last, came back to the dark side of private law practice about a, a decade ago, if not more, and spent my life working very similar to what Patrick said with companies between Canada and the United States, US, Mexico, Canada, Mexico, and then stitching that, those supply chains around the world. And so during USMCA, I was at all the negotiating rounds, representing clients in those discussions. and. I've been getting companies ready to ready to use it and continuing to use it right now. So that's uh, and basically I just do whatever Glenn tells me to do. That's why I'm here today. So that's usually how it works. I've known Glenn for a long time, and there, there really is that really is the model of how to run a Canada U.S. Business Association is what they do at the Canada Arizona Business Council. Very good. And I I'm saving uh, saving Steve for last. I would love for you to introduce yourself for our listeners who are not familiar with the Arizona Tech Council. And then again, why this topic today? If you can just tee that up for us and then we'll just jump right in. Certainly. Steve Zylstra, I'm president and CEO of both the Arizona Technology Council and our foundation, uh, the SciTech Institute. Always great to to see everyone. Uh, this is an especially important topic to me and to our organization. Um, a lot of our members uh, export to both uh, Canada and Mexico. Uh, lots of cross-border uh, partnerships and relationships. Um, uh, Mexico is our number one trading partner and Canada is number two. So, uh, you know, there couldn't be two more important countries and they're right on both of our northern and southern borders. And uh, I've had the opportunity to, uh, well, I grew up near Canada and uh, in Michigan, used to travel to Canada a lot. And uh, since I've come to Arizona, I've spent an awful lot of time uh, in Mexico, both for uh, business and pleasure, uh, sometimes with the uh, Arizona-Mexico uh, Commission, and sometimes with the mayor of Phoenix, sometimes with the governor, and uh, it's just a critical 
both of them are critical relationships for the success of Arizona's economy. Absolutely. And before we jump in, I am just now picturing uh, LinkedIn posts and celebrations, Steve. Congratulations on the most recent, a couple of awards, right? Can you speak to that? So I, I, I won't do it justice if I try to eke out what the terms were uh, and the awards specifically, but I would love to acknowledge you and your group for that. Sure. Thank you. Well, the Phoenix Chamber awarded us uh, an exceptional, exceptional innovator award, which we were very proud of. And then um, there are four categories in, in two different size of uh, firms. And uh, we were in the 250 or less, of course. We have 10 of us. We won the business of the year. So we were pretty proud of that. That's a very important and prestigious uh, award, and uh, we couldn't be happier about it. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. So for our listeners, uh, again, who are just getting to know all of you or some of you for the first time, what exactly is the USMCA and how is it different from NAFTA? Anybody can jump in there and then just tag off each other. Uh, this is Patrick. I'm happy to take a shot at it. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, just the breadth of the document itself uh, is pretty impressive. People may not have a, an understanding of just like what the physical size of the document is. I think that kind of gives you an idea of how important of a, of a regional trade agreement it is. It's 1,800 pages. Um, it's pretty long, uh, 34 chapters. Um, you compare that to NAFTA, which was only 12. There's 18 annexes. There's 12 side letters. I mean, just the physical size of the document is, is, is extremely large and comprehensive because it's such an important agreement. Um, you know, I, I thought I looked at kind of some of the things before we started in terms of the document itself, and I thought the preamble was um, you know pretty telling in terms of a, a description of of what it it's all about. Um, and, it, and, and it says here it says the preamble is to preserve and expand regional trade and production by further incentivizing production and sourcing of goods and materials in the region. And what I was struck by this was it uses the word region twice in the preamble, which tells you, you know, obviously you've got three countries that are involved in this agreement, but reg regional is all about localization in my mind. I try to compare the, the agreement to kind of other things in life by analogy. And you think about our foodie friends out there, people who are into food and whatnot. You think about the concept of farm to table. That's what localization, that's what a regional trade agreement is all about. It's about you know, sourcing your ingredients from local sources, whether that's meats or grains or whatever it may be for the people who have uh, an interest in food. Well, when you're talking about supply chains, it's all about sourcing and bringing your supply chains into a region where your production is occurring, but which is also really close to your markets. Um, you know, the days of, of exporting and, and offshoring to China and India, yeah, there are still those markets and there's still those cost advantages in some instances, but a lot of companies are looking for stability. And that's what I think this agreement's all about. It's all about creating stability and, you know, foreign direct investment likes stability. And, and that's why the legal institutions of this agreement, I think are so important. Hmm. For someone who's just coming to this conversation for the first time, that is extremely helpful. What else would anybody like yeah, to well, add? <laughs> If you like food, it's important, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that made sense to me. <laughs> Dan? Anyone want to add to that? Yeah, so I would just yeah, I would just say that this is Dan. Um, I think we have to take a moment to to talk about how we got here to this point. You know, I, I neglected to mention in the opening 
you know, I'm not on the beaches or in Arizona. I'm sitting in Columbus, Ohio, right? <laughs> and I, I, I make my home here in the industrial Midwest. And, and in particular, I'm from Youngstown, Ohio, which is the kind of the city that Bruce Springsteen sings songs about, right? And the fact is, is that NAFTA became a punching bag um, for everything that was wrong, not only in in the relationship between the three countries, but and, and you could throw everything unrelated to trade to that immigration issues, other types of things, but but change in manufacturing, all of those things that had been building for 30 years, if not longer. And so really one of the major mistakes we made in the original NAFTA was that it was so hard to get it through Congress the last time in the, the 90s. You know, President Bush negotiated it. And President Clinton got it through Congress, right? It, it, it's got to fast forward to when we did USMCA. That's how, that's exactly what happened with Mexico. When we did USMCA, the prior regime, uh, EPN, <laughs> negotiated it. And AMLO is the one that actually got it through the Mexican, the, the ratification process. But, um, but it sat there for 30 years and we didn't really update it. And nobody ever wanted to touch it. Every time you wanted, we needed to do something with NAFTA to bring it up to speed. To, to how fast, think how fast things changed in the late 1990s and throughout the early part of this century. I mean, here we are at the Arizona Technology Council, right? Where we're living that every day. You know, and NAFTA was still an agreement from the, the really the late 80s in some, to some extent by the time it was negotiated, but nobody would touch it politically. And it just became this pinata. And of course, by the time President Trump came along, it, you know, it was not just Republican, it wasn't just Democrats and labor that were beating up on it. It was now, the movement that we've, we've seen. And so uh, I've said many times uh, to, to Glenn's group and, and some of you on the line have likely heard me say this, you know, we didn't rip up NAFTA in USMCA, but it's not a re, about 60% of it's the same of USMCA. And, and Patrick was talking about the size, about 60% is roughly the same with the fresh coat of paint, but 40% of a trillion dollar economy is still a lot of business. So it's not a rebrand either. Uh, we renovated and the President Trump used that word very early on. We, we thought he was going to rip up NAFTA like in February 2017. And instead of saying, I'm doing that, he came out of his first meeting on USMCA and said, I'm going to renovate it. And I thought there's a perfect phrase for a real estate mogul turned president, maybe alleged real estate mogul, but that's a different issue. But um, the, the issue there, though, is that we renovated. We put a fresh coat of paint. Number two, we added new fixtures and appliances. So we got it up to speed for the 21st century. So we added a digital chapter directly relevant to, to the folks on the line right now. We, we put in things about the border, all the work that we did after 9-11 on border issues between the U.S. and Mexico, U.S. and Canada. We took all that homework and put it into this new agreement. And we started looking at the, the, the future, electric vehicles and things of that nature, and got that into this agreement. But then we knocked down some walls, too. And anybody that's ever done a renovation knows you knock down walls, it's going to take longer, it's going to be disruptive, and it's going to cost much more than you ever thought. And that's what we're still working through a little bit later, labor issues with Mexico, restructuring the automotive industry. Because quite frankly, I think the view of many people was that, particularly in Canada, the United States, that it just became a southward movement. And, and candidly, that didn't re reflect what was going on in the auto industry. It was actually not only did it become a trilateral you know, movement toward Mexico, but it became China and others using Mexico to bring goods into the North American space. So how that was an unintended consequence. So how do you deal with those issues? And so this agreement tries to take care of a number of problems. So there's, there's those things as we talk today, there's, there's issues that 
we were addressing problems, but at the same time, the trade-off was what did we get as the business community and elsewhere out of this? Or what did the technology community get, ICT in particular? So there's, there, there's those constant trade-offs and that's what we're working through right now as we begin to implement. Karen, I'd like to add uh, to what Dan said, particularly about the technology uh, industry. There were really two important things that um, ultimately got negotiated uh, into the agreement. And that is, um, first of all, think about the fact that um, uh, the internet uh, didn't really come along until the early 90s, right? So it was not even contemplated in, uh, in the original, the NAFTA agreement. So uh, it, had, it had to be updated, as uh, Dan indicated, there's a whole digital uh, chapter in there. And in addition to that, this concept of transferring not goods across the uh, uh, across the border, but data. You know, how do we do with these transfers of data? And uh, that's one of the things that USMCA also dealt with. So that renovation that Dan referred to really brought it up to speed into you know into the 21st century uh, in many ways, and that was really important to the technology uh, industry. Um, I'd like to ask Glenn a question, um, and then anyone else, please chime in as well. Uh, I've served on the Arizona District Export Council for about a dozen years, and um, uh, every meeting we have now, uh, all the discussion is about the border issues. There's The pandemic has created some significant issues uh, at the border. Immigration issues have um, created issues at the border. It's, um, it's been difficult to get goods across the border. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit, particularly, Glenn, from the Canadian side? Uh, I know you've been in, at the forefront of that. And how it's impacted Arizona? You, you bet, Steve. So first and foremost, the security issue is the security issue. And that is a standalone subject. Unfortunately, it has been blended into the commerce discussion the delineation is really sloppy. Now, business people on both sides know what they want to do, and they look at uh, agreements like uh, NAFTA, and they go, gosh darn, you know, I'm really glad I got the brand new plane. Now, how do I put more people in the seats? They want to get back to the business of moving stuff back and forth. So the agreement's now been done, the lawyers did their job, everything is good to go. So now the business people come across the border and they go, well, the security thing's getting in the way. It is 80% noise. And the reality is that a lot of these people at the border have facilitated something during a pandemic that most of us take for granted. The fact that we have commerce running across both Southern and Northern borders at the pace that it's running across is absolutely phenomenal. Countries around the world are envious. This is also, Steve, I believe, a moment in time where supply chains got halted for a period and they're going to get rerouted again. And this is an opportunity for North America to use this roadmap that lawyers like Dan and Patrick have been involved in to build up something competitive to Asia and Europe. And to do that, we have to sort out North America. Canada and Mexico need to do more together. Canada and the US already do a ton together. 
can, uh, the U.S. and Mexico do a ton together. We need to start acting in North America as a competitive trading block and sort out some of this stuff and separate the noise and the chaff away from the wheat and the reality at these borders. Companies and groups like Chicanos por la Causa are doing a spectacular job uh, with what David Adame is doing over uh, in Texas and here. There are organizations that are just knocking it out of the park. Your members uh, within the Tech Council, they have to put up with a lot of that stuff. But the reality is if ABC entity from Phoenix, Arizona wants to go down and set up in Hermosillo with Patrick, they're going to do it. They're just going to double check some of the safety and security stuff, but they're going to do it. These roadmaps are really, really important. But at the end of the day, for this North American economy to be significant, we have to get back to the people, the relationships, the meetings, and step aside and look at this in a really personal way. And the Tech Council, Steve, there's nobody better than your organization for the amount of meetings, the amount of put-togethers, the amount of stuff that you do that keeps that fostered. And I congratulate you on that more. Arizona is smack dab in the middle of NAFTA because of its unusually productive relationship with Mexico, with organizations like the you know, Mexican uh, Arizona Council and that whole commission. And we've got the CABC down here. So we in Arizona have found ourselves, people like Juan Siscomani and myself and others are going, you know, we really are this unique position to draw in two countries from either end and get them working together more and more using Arizona as a Petri dish, using NAFTA as a recipe, and the ability to make this incredible dinner is sitting right here on our plate in Arizona. Anyone have anything to add? This is Patrick. I, you know, to Glenn's point, again, the whole idea of keeping it local, I think resonates throughout this agreement and, and, and through Glenn's comments, whether it's local through organizations like Chicanos por la Causa, or the Arizona Tech Council, I think those organizations play a really important role there. I think they're key you know, players uh, in, the, in the development of, of where this agreement actually goes as it's being implemented. You talked, Glenn spoke about uh, briefly about the idea of kind of due diligence. If someone's going to want to go down and make an investment uh, in, in Sonora, for example, and Steve, I remember from one of the first uh, Arizona Tech Council new member receptions I attended, I remember meeting a medical device company um, that had a sh uh, set up down at the tech park in Aramosillo. Um, there are companies, you know, within the tech council who are members or who may be thinking about joining that have opportunities south of the border uh, or north of the border uh, in Canada uh, that they can take advantage of. And I, and I think that the, the structures that organizations like the tech council have in place to support those um, efforts or, or those initiatives is really important. You know, keeping it local, um, trying to figure out how someone can, you know, take advantage of the idea that when you're an Arizona-based company and you have operations or production or coding or whatever you may have going on down in Sonora, you've got people who have familiarity with languages. You have people who have familiarity with culture, whether that's food culture or that's uh, television culture, whatever it may be, music culture. But when you've got partners on both sides of the border that understand one another, are familiar with one's cultures, it, it allows for business to be done much more efficiently and much 
I think much better. Patrick, I want to I want to add to that if I can, just from the Canadian diaspora in Arizona, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Canadian companies that are here. Do you know that they all probably probably over ninety percent of them started as tourists, yeah. CEOs and senior management? They would come down, they would meet someone like Steve, and Steve would tell them about what's going on, and the council would then fill them in. And then all of a sudden, that person would go, wow, you know, I'm, I'm on the board of XYZ company up in Montreal or in Toronto. I think I'm going to look at this. And then they'll phone up a lawyer like Dan and, and say, hey, Dan, is this okay? Can I go in there? But they've already mentally made the decision after having a drink with Steve, learning about the organization like the Tech Council. Now it's up to the facilitators, i.e. the operations people in their companies and the lawyers to make sure that this you know, NAFTA agreement complies what they want. But usually the CEO and board members have made that emotional decision. And you cannot, you cannot print an emotional decision. It is something, it, it is, it is something that it's an emotion. And once it happens, professionals then make the execution occur. And thank God for the, you know, the tech council, which I've watched grow up from the very beginning, you have taken and put this market, Steve, and your organization on the map because when those of us are traveling around the globe and we're competing with discussions with someone in Germany and Italy and Switzerland and Hong Kong, we get to talk about you, we get to point to your website, and that person sitting in Stads going, wow, I never even heard of that. You guys are operating that, and it's done. And it is so, so important. And then the agreement, the actual NAFTA agreement, is truly the icing on the cake because what the lawyers have done here is made this facilitation so much easier to do deals between three countries and this continent. And if you think about that, this is Dan Uto, it, just to build off that, it, it, you know, and I, Patrick and Glenn both made this point, but to amplify it a bit, I, I think if there's any silver lining of the, the, the tragedies, the, the countless tragedies, of the last year and change are that this was the great timeout of the last year and a half. I mean, for all of us that are, you know, I'm used to being on planes four or five days a week, right? And, you know, my wife of 20 years, this is the most we've ever spent in the same household. I mean, it's like, wow, you know, I, I forgot we do. This is how normal people live, I guess. I don't know, because we rarely see each other. She travels just as much as I do. So it's, it's, but it's also been, you know, wonderful in so many ways. And I think people are discovering that. I think that's, that's happening both in North America and in global supply chains is that for so long, we kind of took, certainly U.S., Canada took each other for granted, I think, and, and increasingly North America did. And then when our borders have closed, and Glenn made a great point, we learned in September 11, 2001, I'm a border guy. I, I work for the respective agencies was we had to spend 15 years figuring out how to never let that happen again. And so as soon as the pandemic hit, all that homework came into place. So we've been able to move commercial traffic. We didn't shoot ourselves in the foot, even making the economic challenges worse by closing our, our borders to the economy. But what we, what we frankly haven't got right is the travel, tourism, and business part people. And I think as we'll see over the next month, hopefully in Canada, U.S., maybe a bit longer, U.S., Mexico, as vaccination rates get to where they need to be, I just hope we're creative on how we, we do this, that we don't say what applies for the rest of the world should apply for North America. 
because there's an advantage here that like I'm 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 against the vaccine passport within North America. To be honest with you, I don't think it makes sense to me. It may make sense to screen for the rest of the world uh, coming into North America, but we could actually give ourselves a competitive advantage uh, by not doing that in in this region. And similarly, for no matter how we got to doing the USMCA, it's kind of been good timing. We we finished our agreement right as the pandemic hit. So as we're looking for economic recovery, we have an agreement in place right now. We did the hard part, which is, and now we have to go forward and implement it while our friends in Europe are still trying to figure out what's going on over there with Brexit and every, everything else. And frankly, I used to work for the European Union. They've been trying to figure that out for a long time, but, but they're doing that. And, and Asia is going through some fundamental changes uh, in, in what we're seeing. And then companies are sitting here saying, well, wait a minute. You know, Europe may not be what we used to think it was. Asia, we've just seen the risks in real time over the last year of of what happens when your supply chain gets extended. And now you throw in an entire movement on ESG, um, what used to be corporate social responsibilities, now environmental social government, governance and, and labor issues around the world. And people are saying, you know what, North America ain't so bad right now. And we've done the hard part. So I really think that's where there's a great opportunity. There's a great opportunity for tech companies, in my opinion, is that companies are going to say that, you know, you would naturally look to North America for that anyway, but the supply base is going to build around that too. That's what we did in USMCA. That's the untold story is we may, we've made it really hard to bring new technology from around the world into North America. That you're not going to be able to source a lithium-ion cell from overseas within the next two years because of USMCA, right? It'll just be too expensive. That's why you see LG and SK and everybody setting up shop here, not just to do the assembly, but to actually put the cells here uh, and manufacture those. And, and we're going to see that across the board in AI and elsewhere. It won't just be the r and The old model was do the R&D in North America and go let the production happen somewhere else. Right. And, and the value added jobs and all of that, that's coming back home. Uh, and, and whether you call that nearshoring, whether you call it reshoring or now ally shoring is the new phrase. But I think we're going to see a lot of that. And so what I, I've been telling all of our tech clients, and I'm sure Patrick does the same thing, is understand this agreement. Make sure you understand it. And so that when a supplier comes to you, you're like, we're ready to go. We're already certified. We've gone through the process, blah, blah, blah. We know what our, we have supply chain transparency. What do you need? What do you need? We're here to supply you. And if and now's the time to do that. Like this, the early adopters are going to get well ahead in the recovery because we've already done the hard part. Uh, and that's what I think is the exciting piece for all the horrors of the last year. We're ready to go uh, in, a, in a much different way than the rest of the world is. One of you uh, alluded to this, but uh, another opportunity that it presents, I think uh, Lucid Motors is a perfect example of it. They've uh, set up a manufacturing operation in Casa Grande, halfway between uh, Phoenix and Tucson. And the C CEO has said innumerable times, besides the great business climate uh, that we have here in Arizona, uh, it was um, being close to the automotive industry supply chain uh, that's available in Mexico. So there's a perfect example of uh, how opportunity can be created by attracting another industry here because of our proximity to either Canada or Mexico. I, I agree with you, Steve. We're, we're seeing supply chain companies from Canada 
set up shop because of those two facilities now in Casa Grande. And I'm also a big believer that when I look at what's going on in Toronto and Montreal and the growth of technology companies that they're getting, Europeans and Asians right now, you know, the pandemic has been very, very painful, but the strategic thinkers in both Europe and Asia right now are going, what if North America gets their act together? Mm -hmm. What will happen? And that is, you know that that is strategically sitting on a lot of desks. When you start seeing companies from Taiwan setting up billion dollar facilities in Arizona and starting to migrate to your point, Steve, into North America and to, to Dan's point on supply chain, you are absolutely spot on. Okay, cheapers, I'm really sorry that big old ship got stuck in the canal. Boy, did that expose a problem. And you know, those people in those supply chains are going now, was it really worth the extra 40 cents per unit savings? to actually be that risk, you know, have that kind of underwriting risk that's gonna happen. So I think you're gonna see a lot of boardroom decisions right now that are gonna be looking at North America and they're gonna be looking at centers of excellence. And right now, I, I hate to say it, but we're watching a decline in California and New York and Illinois. And we're watching a massive increase in Texas, Arizona, Nevada, through the roof in technology companies moving into these regions because COVID-19 just proved the point, you don't need to be in an office, especially in certain parts of technology. And that's, that's all of a sudden lifestyle becomes a big issue. Steve, how does that change what, change or add on to what you are already doing? Everything that Glenn just spoke to, what, what has that called you and your organization, the companies that you work with to, to do? I mean, to continue to make those alliances and, and make yourself available. What, how does that look for you? Well, certainly from, from my point, uh, I've got about 500 Canadian companies here and about 130 or 140 Arizona companies that operate in Canada. Technology we're using today was invented years and years ago, but we never just used it. Hmm. What we're now finding is geography is no longer an issue. All those planes that Dan was flying around on, now we might get Zoom fatigue, but we are watching degrees of communication occur now that we could only dream about years ago. And when you're sitting in Honomasio where Patrick is and he's got this good a connection and it's perfect, you could be sitting next door in Scottsdale and having these kinds of discussions. This changes the dialogue in boardrooms. This is certainly in my boardrooms that I'm in. Um, all of a sudden you don't need these massive meetings anymore. All of a sudden you can, if you have a relationship with people from years gone by physically and you know each other, that is going to withstand Zoom in a heartbeat. What will be fascinating to watch is the next generation that doesn't have the relationship physically where they hung out together and did stuff, but they have a relationship online. And this is going to be really interesting watch the, to watch what the psychology of that's going to start to uncover. But I, my firm belief is this is a force multiplier that just hit us. And the question is, how much time do you spend focusing on what just happened versus what is going to happen and the redefinition of this landscape. And this is where companies and boards of directors and decision makers have got to cherry pick. And it's not just youth versus age, it's mental forward thinking, which is age restrictive. So whatever you can think of, if I've got a 70 year old guy on my board and I've got a 24 year old, the 70 year old might come up with a more insanely cool idea than the younger person. So this is, this is this great leveling that just occurred 
across the board, and it's going to be fascinating to watch. Glenn, I, I can't, I can't uh, underscore enough your, your point about this whole idea of how the next generation without, who may not have those personal relationships already, I think it just underscores the importance of engagement and also this whole concept, intercultural communication. I think those two things are going to be pivotal moving forward. If we're looking to take the next jump with the USMCA, um, you know, I've, pre I've presented on a couple of different matters on uh, intercultural communication and knowing the differences between how a Mexican company and Mexican culture may perceive uh, a dining engagement, for example, uh, you know, uh, as compared to a Canadian or as compared to uh, an American um, is really important. You know, someone mentioned to me the other day, you know, a Mexican comes to eat in the uh, United States. And I think it may have come, came in the context of discussing Tucson as kind of a, a gastronomy capital of the world now that they've made some list. And with all the food that they've got going on down in Tucson, one of the things that came up was, you know, having Mexican diners and making sure your staff um, of your restaurant knows not to drop the bill uh, without someone asking, for example. That's a huge thing. You know, that's from a tourism perspective. But, you know, you talked about, you know, having your, um, your, the, uh, a U.S. company go down to Mexico. Well, a lot of business in Mexico is done over carne asadas. I mean, people laugh at me when I, on some of these presentations I'm on. I always talk about carne asada. Um, I love it. And, and one of the reasons I do is because there are so many great connections made over carne asada. You know, how, how does, do you use charcoal or gas? You know, that's the big, you know, and, and, or it's always charcoal and you got to use mesquite. You know, what meat are you going to use? You know, my father-in-law is buying, you know, diez mio, which is a, like a, a really thin cut of chuck. Well, then the discussion becomes, well, where did you buy it from? Is it Rancho de Siete? Did you get it from Nunez? And this whole conversation just develops over, over a meal between business partners. You know, the next thing is, oh, well, do you put the salt on before or after you flip it? Uh, you know, all these different things. Who do you get your tortillas from? And, and you may have to have two or three carne asadas with people at their office, with their coworkers, with their families, and then you get a deal. Um, and I think those types of the importance of engagement and understanding those cultural distinctions about how business is done, um, you know, the winners, I think, are going to be the ones who understand those things. So I've got a question, if I can, for Dan. So, Dan, what the heck is going on with softwood lumber between Canada and the United States and building supplies? Well, yeah, I mean, look, look, we've been fighting over softwood lumber between, which is just timber, right? The things we the things we did have to, well some people say that dispute actually goes back to the Civil War. There's actually a, a ambassador David Wilkins who used to be the U.S. ambassador to Canada. Actually, in the embassy in Ottawa, the U.S. embassy in Ottawa, there's a picture of Abraham Lincoln giving the Gettysburg Address, and they pin down this person in the picture who they say was a Canadian diplomat or British diplomat at the time that was there to talk to President Lincoln about softwood lumber. Like they've traced it back that old. And why? We're fighting over trees, right? We're fight we've, the, one, the things that we do argue over, the few disputes that we have between Canada, U.S., U.S., Mexico, generally come about things that grow out of the ground um, or things that we both have and we kind of compete. But 99% of the relationship is complementary, right? That we're making goods together. 
we're innovating together, et cetera. The thing, the only things that we really, where we really have disputes are, like I said, lumber, because we have a lot of trees in the Pacific Northwest and a lot in the U.S. Southeast in those regions. But that's often viewed as a U.S. to Canada dispute, government to government. But it's actually the U.S. lumber industry that controls that dispute. When a trade case is filed, I'm a trade lawyer, is that that's the industry. And once they file, it's really the U.S. government really can't say that's over. It's just like me going to court here, right? So it, uh, the U.S. the U.S. lumber industry say, hey, prices look pretty good right now. You know, we're not settling that dispute, but but we're seeing that with co commodities across the board, right? All prices are going up, and, I, and some of this is going to be short term as we come out of the, the 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 recovery or get into the recovery. Other parts of it are structural. I mean, if we're going to re the reality is if we're going to re if we're going to rebalance supply chains and not have cheap goods that are made with unfair labor practices or subsidized, et cetera, well, prices go up and prices go up because that you could argue that's the real price for those goods, right? Because they're not subsidized, right? And that's the part that I'm not sure everybody really appreciated is that when we got off our addiction to China sourced goods, subsidized goods, it's that prices are going to go up. That's just the reality. And so my dog agrees. Um, but the, the, you know, one thing, and Glenn's one of the leading minds on this. The, the other part that we're, that there's a lot going on in North America right now is there's a lot of money sitting on the sidelines, investment dollars. And, and it gets to that where, where Glenn was saying earlier, the rest of the world's kind of looking at us and saying, are they going to get their act together in North America? Or are they going to shoot them? Or are they going to get kind of, there's always that line between complacency and contentment, right? And then the, in North America, we kind of lean towards complacency. Right. We don't quite get to contentment. We say, oh, hey, things are going well. You know, we don't need to be as competitive vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the world as a region. And I think right now a lot of money is sitting there and looking at risks around the world and saying, you know what? The COVID's over. We're going to start investing. And right now, North America looks like the best place. So let's find tech companies to start putting those dollars into. Let's find infrastructure investments that we can go in public-private partnerships. And those type those types of innovative ideas. Let's look for the next, you know, the next big idea in infrastructure, or the next big idea elsewhere. And I think that's what we're going to see coming down the pipe right now. And that's one of the. It goes back to Patrick's earlier comments, stability, and that's what we got right now. And I think that that those financial investments we're going to see as well. Steve, I would love to hear you tag onto that. In your role, are you providing opportunities for those investors and those introductions? Of course. I mean, what. For you, what does the change look like? Well, as you know, we represent our members and in, in, in their interests. So, um, when I, you know, one of the things we attempt to do is knock down barriers and obstacles that that they may face. Uh, we do that uh, obviously in the public policy realm at both the state and federal level. We've um, been very active recently communicating with our uh, two senators about um, about the border issues because uh, of the impact that it's having. And uh, it's, it's something that's sort of, as I mentioned earlier, the topic of every conversation we have now at the Arizona District Export Council. So, I, you know, I think we're going to work through it. And, um, you know, it's going to it's going to get better as time goes on, as we get the pandemic uh, behind us. And uh, everyone feels more secure as a as a result of that. Um, but um, 
you know, the tech industry is absolutely booming right now. I mean, even through the entire pandemic period, um, it grew 6.2% here in, uh, in Arizona, the workforce did, you know, or while a lot of people were um, sort of held in place for a while, the, the, the tech industry continued to grow. And uh, the investments that are being made here uh, are just unbelievable. Um, probably have heard that Intel's investing 20 billion. TSMC is gonna put in 12 billion. And, and that's just their initial investment. That'll grow to 35 billion uh, over time. And um, you know, one of the good uh, things that's come out of the pandemic, at least um, for Americans, is that uh, these supply chains are gonna start moving back to North America. Um, I think we heard a couple of weeks ago, the, the CEO of um, Intel indicate that, I think he said there was about 17% of the semiconductors in the world that were currently manufactured in Arizona or in uh, the US. And he thinks that should be 35%. And, uh, you know, TSMC is the largest semiconductor enterprise in, in the world. And where are they investing? Arizona. So, you know, but these relationships between uh, uh, Mexico and and uh, Canada are, are so important. I um, can't say enough about this, the importance, I think it was uh, Patrick that mentioned this, of the relationships, right? And, you know, you, you can't develop those relationships, I don't think, over Zoom. So I think we are going to have to get back on airplanes and travel to the countries that we want to do partnerships with, we want to supply to, we want to collaborate with, and um, you know, people want to get out right now, right? I think everybody, this is like the first holiday in a long time. People are traveling. Uh, it's just going to be uh, crazy because like, a lot of pent-up demand for people to get out. And I think um, uh, all three of our countries will benefit from that. And as um, we pull out of this uh, pandemic and start the recovery. I told you this would go very fast and, and it has, we're about to wind down, but I, I want to, I, each of you have talked about and mentioned uh, the collaborations as well as the alliances that have been formed. Are there any other key political business, academic or social leaders that are on board that, that we want to celebrate and, and give a shout out to and who else needs to come to the conversation at the table to strengthen these bonds? So if I can take the first crack at that, Steve, yeah, I think at a national level, all three countries have done their job on USMCA. I think now at a provincial, a state, a county, and a city level, people need to learn how to spell international, and they need to learn how to do North American. And it's to Patrick's point that he made earlier, this is really regional. And North America is a region, and we need to get more data going down lower and lower and lower into the food chains, into the regions, so that if I turn around and say, gee, Dan, how many, how many Canadian companies are in Pima County, or how many German companies are in Pima County, or I go to Ontario, how many Arizona companies are in Ontario? And unfortunately, we don't have up-to-date data throughout all three countries. And Without that data, it's really hard to point people into the right decision-making modes, certainly at board levels. So I'm, I'm a big, big fan of regionalization, like Patrick said, 
getting that data and helping people educate people to make decisions at the highest level with tools in their hands and their lawyers have USMCA in their hands. Now give the executives the tools to make decisions that, you know, that helps propagate North America versus Asia and Europe. I, I would just add on the academic side, I've always been impressed with the amount of cross-border collaboration that goes on between post-secondary institutions um, uh, all over Mexico, all over Arizona, all over uh, Canada. Uh, you see collaboration going on. So I, I think that's um, definitely an area that we uh, should celebrate. I would say that um, this governor has done a great deal to repair the relationship with Mexico after uh, the previous governor, you know, from Senate Bill 1070. We all remember that and the impact that it had on the relationship with Mexico. And, uh, you know, this governor has spent a lot of time in Mexico and um, had a very spectacular relationship with the, the governor of Sonora. And uh, she's, uh, I think her term ends this year. And uh, of course, we only have uh, Ducey for another year and a half or so. So, you know, I think at least Arizona and, and uh, Mexico and Arizona and Canada have very good relationships, as Glenn pointed out, at the government level. And we all need to do more to inform and educate, particularly in my case, companies about the opportunities that exist by partnering with uh, other countries and particularly with businesses in other countries. I would just say, this is Danny, I would just say, there would not be a USMCA without the leadership in Arizona, full stop. Because it was a little bumpy ride there for a while and it was the Arizona, both Governor Ducey and the, the congressional delegation, leaders in the business community, two of whom are on the line right here, and Patrick as well. And, and, and now the other real active state was Texas, and the Arizona folks have gone to Texas now. So it doesn't, uh, it, it's interesting how that worked from the chamber. But, uh, and there was some leadership here in the US Midwest. But one of the things I, I'll just say very quickly is we can't make the mistake we did last time with NAFTA which we fought really hard in this agreement to make sure that this was an agreement that would get done and just sit. It's meant to be a living, breathing organism. There's roughly 30 governmental committees created for each of those chapters Patrick mentioned. There's, there's sub-working groups. And we fortunately, we saw that just last week. The, it was the first meeting of the free trade agreement. So the three trade ministers, all of whom are women for the first time, which means we'll actually get this right for once. Uh, and if, if, if history teach, if my personal life teaches anything, it'll come together perfectly. But they're getting reports from all these committees now. And that's a way to keep that evergreen. But we can't rely on government. And, and Glenn, Glenn touched on this. You know, government's the alpha and the omega. It sets the rules. We're going to have a trade deal. And then tell us what you need and we'll go at the end. But in the middle is us. The business community. And we always do this with trade deals. We get them done and then we don't train the companies how to use them. Right. And, and that's where we really have to invest some time and energy. And that's why Arizona Tech Council, Canadian Arizona, Canada, Arizona Business Council, et cetera, are constantly doing these things so we can teach companies how to take advantage of these agreements. Because otherwise it just sits there. Right. And so we really have to work on the implementation side, get those committees, get companies engaged to say, what do you need? What do you need? Because now there's a mechanism to keep it evergreen. And if we do that, we're going to be ahead. Uh, but unfortunately, we tend to fall back. And, and that's why we just got to push, push, push. 
And, and if there's any message I could give is to get engaged on USMCA. Patrick, anything? Yeah, want to add to that? I, I, I'd echo Dan's point on engagement. You know, and it's one about getting the companies to understand and implement, like Dan said, and, and like Glenn said. I think those are, that's really important. I think the charge that we have for the various business organizations, the associations, whether it's the chamber, uh, whether it's the tech council, whether it's, um, you know, humanitarian organizations, um, whether it's uh, organizations focused on diversity and inclusion, whatever it may be, I think all of those organizations need to be focused on engagement as it relates to the agreement. Obviously, they've got broad, broader charters or broader uh, objectives, but in the area of trade and investment, everybody's looking home now. Uh, and and, if, and I think that's the that's the lesson learned over the end of the uh, Obama administration through the entirety of the Trump um, administration and into the early, uh, you know, first year of the Biden administration. It's all about, like we said, going back to this whole idea, it's all about localization. Uh, and I think that the more our business organizations and associations can do that, help get the message out about why this agreement is so important. I mean, a lot of people were disappointed that we, uh, you know, we didn't uh, end up getting into the um, TTP. If you look at the agreement that the USMCA uh, saw, that we have signed here, and Dan highlighted a lot of the importance of uh, chapters and important provisions, we've got protections in the USMCA that are better than that agreement. And, and I know a lot of people were disappointed. Oh, well, no TTP. Well, you know what? You've got a much better agreement here with the USMCA that's focused regionally. So I, I, I think that's an important point that we need to look forward at as well. That leads me to, to ask this question, and we, again, we only have a couple more minutes, so maybe just one or two of you can touch on this. Are there any misconceptions that need to be busted up? Patrick, you said something just now that made me think of that about the USMCA. Like, is there anything out there that people just are not understanding and, and not embracing? What, what message would you have there? Well, I'll certainly jump on. In defense of Mexico, it is not as dangerous as the persona puts forward and people need to educate themselves on Mexico a whole lot more. And Canada is not as far away as people think it is, and it's not just snow and ice. And some of these things are pretty simple things because when you're taking a six hour flight, eight hour flight to Asia, and you're an hour away from Hermosillo, two hours away from Mexico City, a couple hours away from Calgary, people need to rethink their geography and, and, and understand that these countries are much more in common. How about a French language and a Spanish language, both romantic languages, and here we sit in the middle. And I mean, this is, there's so much more that we should be paying attention to. And it's always that old, terrible thing that we do. We always look to the new thing on the other side of the fence and say, gee, it's shinier, it's cooler. It, I'm telling someone I'm flying to Dubai when you know, going somewhere like Toronto or Hermosillo is way more efficient and you're gonna actually probably get something done faster. So it, um, and, and culturally the countries are closer aligned than people could possibly think. Those are all good, yeah. excellent. Any other thoughts around misconceptions or does that cover it? We've covered it's a perfect, it's a perfect landing point, but I'll just, uh, Glenn's a professional diplomat, I'll say it less just diplomatically. This is very hard for us as Americans to appreciate. There's no way we're going to win against the rest of the world without Canada and Mexico. It's just 
the U.S. cannot do this alone. And the, but the one way we can really get on top versus the rest of the world is working with Canada and Mexico. We have it all. We have everything we need in that region. And we, we need to stop always chasing that shiny ball uh, because it's right here in our backyards. And if we do that, um, the, the future is limitless in terms of what this, the success that we can achieve. By the way, uh, Glenn is a diplomat figuratively and literally. Um, he didn't mention this in his pedigree, but he is the honorary counsel uh, for Canada here in Arizona. We've got, we, ha we do indeed have a distinguished panel. It has been a pleasure to learn and lean in and listen to everything that you're sharing today. It's certainly our listeners will appreciate your time as well. Stephen, I would love for you to just uh, have some parting words for us before I kind of close out with some of our announcements. Yeah, so um, I just want to reiterate what everyone has said. This relationship between uh, the United States and Arizona specifically and Canada and Mexico are the most important relationships that we have uh, around the world. We need to continue to nurture them continue to work together, uh, continue to uh, understand each other. And uh, there's, uh, it's, it's really one of those things where, you know, it's win, 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 win. Uh, the more we collaborate, the more we partner, the more we work together, the more we understand each other, the more benefit it's gonna bring to the citizens of the United States and to, the, and to Arizona. So, um, and I, I'll just echo what, several folks said, and that is um, we need all to do a better job of educating people on the opportunities that USMCA represents. And that was the purpose of today's program. I believe that you all have accomplished that. Thank you again for being here with us. Do stay on after we go off air for just a couple of moments. You've been listening to AZ TechCast brought to you by Phoenix Business Radio with Business Radio X. Today's AZ TechCast was brought to you by Arizona Commerce Authority, the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. Thank you again, Arizona Commerce Authority. And many thanks also to JDH Insights, the 2021 Tech Advocate Sponsor. Visit jdhinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. If you're interested in being a podcast participant or a sponsor for the council's AZ TechCast, please contact marketing at aztechcouncil.org to lock in your opportunity to further position you as a tech expert, influencer, and innovator. Some media leans left, some lean right, and we lean business. Until next time, I'm Karen Wicke. Thank you again so much for being here with us. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you.